downstairs to Children's Church. Um, bye, Titus. Uh, and is there, hey, Danny, are you really that small of a child? Oh, I love picking on the Phillips daughters. Like, <laughs> I've missed it. Um, let's uh, let's bow our heads uh, and and talk to Jesus before we uh, hear the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with me. Um, help me to be faithful uh, to your word. Help me to be faithful to to your truth as I as I uh, share from the scriptures today. And I pray that you would help me to be. Um, to be uh, someone who just steps out of the way and lets the Spirit speak through me. Um, don't allow me to, to push my own feelings or my own thoughts, but, but rather um, let, your, uh, let your Spirit speak this morning. Pray for the folks who are here that they would hear from you, that they would come to know you more uh, through hearing your word, um, that you would move in their hearts and their minds, uh, that they would uh, be new creations in Christ, um, that, that those who don't know you would come to know you, that those who do would grow and mature in the faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, I am going to be doing a topical series uh, for the next few weeks. I, I normally, if you, if you pay attention, I do uh, write through books, you know, or I'll, I'll do verse by verse, word by word through like whole books of the Bible. And, and as kind of an exercise in variation, I'm, I'm going to be doing a topical series. We're going to be talking about grace this month. Um, and, and this should be fun. Uh, we'll see. Um, and, and so we're going to be starting off on that. And, and before we get to that, actually, I wanted to talk, uh, for a moment. Um, our, our, our kids, um, we, we had planned, we had all these big plans for Christmas break because it was going to be so long. And then, um, that all went away. And so we didn't get to do everything we wanted to do. Um, one of the things we had planned on doing was spending like two days watching all of the Star Wars movies. So we could go and see the new one in the theater together. And we didn't have two consecutive days where we were all together and where things weren't falling apart and the house wasn't a disaster or nothing was on fire or whatever. And so um, we didn't get to do that. And so we're very slowly working our way through them. And and um, it wasn't my first choice, but we decided to start with the f- number one, right, that, that Phantom Menace movie. And, and go on through to the end, like in numerical order. And, and most of y'all have probably seen these, right? Like, I mean, I'm assuming that most of us have seen Star Wars at some point. Really? There's like two people that haven't? I, I'm judging you. Um, <laughs> so the, the first three films tell the story of, of Anakin, who is this, this um, important character. And he... It starts with him being bought out of slavery and brought into the, the family of the Jedi and, and being tempted away and then finally falling. And when you get to the end of this third movie, it's, it's pretty dark, and we were resistant to show it to our kids because it was – Jess and I had a long talk about this. Like, it's kind of violent, and it's kind of it's dark. And, and as we're watching, I'm watching the kids' reactions because, honestly, in the top five things I wanted as a parent, I was looking forward to – Obviously, like, Abby's wedding day is on the list, and, you know, but I'll be, like, 60 then. Um, and, and, you know, when they, when they move away, you know, these things that are, like, big milestones I'm looking forward to, um, watching them watch Star Wars for the first time was on the list. And so I'm, like, watching them as they watch this reveal, as they watch, like, they discover, like, oh, my gosh, Anakin 
is Darth Vader. <gasps> I, if you haven't seen it yet, it's your own fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that is not a spoiler. The whole culture knows it. And they get to the end of the movie and they find out, oh my gosh, Luke Skywalker's Anakin's son. Oh my gosh. And, you know, this whole, like, moment of realization. But, but the thing that struck me the most, and I'm going to pick on Josh because he's here today, um, was when, when Anakin becomes evil and he goes and he begins, like, killing people. And, like, watching Josh react, he's like, oh my gosh, is he, he's not going to, oh my gosh. And he covered his face at one point. Because it was so terrible watching this happen. And, and I realized um, as we were watching it, as a kid, I watched the original three films. And like you don't realize how horrible Darth Vader is until you begin looking back and realizing, like, oh, my gosh, he, like, murdered children. And, like, he, he's, like, this oppressive dictator. Like, he's horrible. Like, he's really genuinely evil. And it makes the second three films even better because you realize, like, how awful this guy is. And, and so as we talk about grace, there's no way around the fact that you have to talk about sin. And a lot of times what takes grace down a notch in our culture is that we fail to recognize how, how big and how ugly and how horrible sin is. Like, like we fail to see like sin for what it really is. Um, I, Jess and I are in a perpetual battle in life where where she pours um, hand sanitizer on her hands by the gallon every day. And I'll, like, work on the car and come in and, like, black hands, and I'll eat a sandwich, and I don't care, you know. And Because she has a very different perspective on such things. Like, for her, those things are horrible. For me, it's like, well, you know, strength of my immune system. Um, she sees it as terrible. I see it as no big deal. Um, the reality is, if you read the scriptures accurately, sin is a big, big, big deal. And we're going to kind of work through it. This isn't going to be a fire and brimstone sermon. It might be. I don't know. We'll see where we go. Um, <laughs> but before we dive into it, I want to talk for a second about what sin isn't, uh, if I can get my slides to move. Can you? Uh... There it goes. Um, because a lot of times we get into this weird mindset about what is and is not sin, Larry did it. Um, (laughs) So a lot of times we get into this weird mindset about things that are sin that just aren't, right? And I I will tell you, so we're going to talk about a couple things that aren't sin that people like crucify themselves over. Like that that it's insane that people beat themselves up because they're just not sinful. Um, And the biggest one, like when we fall short of the world standard, it isn't a sin. I, I can tell you in my time as pastor here, seven years, I have heard approximately 90 women say, oh, I'm terrible because I'm not as good as this person, right? I'm not as good of a housewife, I'm not as good as mom, I'm not thin, I'm not this, I'm not that. And they like list off this whole list of things that like they degrade themselves for because I'm not as good as that person. Anybody here do that? I'm just wondering. You don't have to raise your hand. I actually once had conversations with two different women where one said, oh, this lady down the street is so perfect. She's the best mom. She's got her stuff together. This and this and listed off all these things. And then a few days later, I had a conversation with the other woman who pointed at the first one and said, she is so much better of a Christian than I am and this and that. Look at all these things she's doing. It's like, you realize you're both talking about each other, right? Like, <laughs> 
But, but what's happened is our culture um, makes a living telling us that we're not good enough because that way you buy stuff, right? Um, you know, if, if they don't tell you you're not thin enough, you won't buy dietary supplements. Um, I always think of uh, Cosmo. Like, Cosmo always has these really attractive women on the cover, right? And, like, the objective is to sell you magazines by showing you women who are in better shape and prettier than you, um, except for my wife, who's much prettier than any woman I've ever seen on Cosmo. Um, but they show you these women who are airbrushed and fake and everything else. They say, hey, you're not good enough. Buy this magazine and find out how to be good enough, right? And in reality, that's not sinful, Right? It's just not. Like, it is not sinful to not be perfect. Um, and we beat ourselves up over it, and, and we crucify ourselves over it, and we, we degrade ourselves and everything else. And in reality, imperfection, like by the world's standard, is not, is not, is not sinful. Um, you, you can't make it that way. Because ultimately, the world is only interested in what they can get from you, right? What they can market to you, what they can... And if they can't create want, um, they can't get you to buy stuff. Um, a lot of times we look at our neighbor and we say, well, this person is better than me. I remember being in college and um, my roommate was a very... Like, he's a, also a pre-seminary student, and he got up for devotions every morning, went to chapel every day, and all of these prayed for an hour every morning. He was on it, and, and I would oftentimes compare myself to him and say, oh, man, I'm not a very good Christian, right? He's probably still a better Christian than me, honestly. Um, but if getting into heaven is based on how good I am, guess what? <laughs> he ain't making it either, um, we oftentimes we look at other people and say, well, I'm not, I'm not as happy. My life isn't together. My stuff isn't as nailed down. Or we look at Facebook and we think we're inadequate and broken because I'm not as good as the fake stuff that people put on Facebook, right? Because nobody puts their miserable stuff on Facebook. And the people who do, you start to ignore really quick because they're overly dramatic. Um, I look for those people so I can say, oh, I'm better than that anyway. Um, in a lot of instances, feelings are not sinful. And here's why. Um, yesterday, my son asked me approximately 75 times for something that I said no to every time. And by the end, I got angry. Now, there's a school of thought that says anger is sin. It's not, right? What I do with my anger is potentially sinful, right? Um, if I see something and I desire it, what I do with my desire is potentially sinful and is potentially not sinful. But feelings on their own aren't sinful, right? Like until you reach the point that you're pouring gas on your own fire, like, oh, I hate that guy, and you make it worse and worse and worse, and it turns into bitterness, that's a problem. But out of the gate, like these momentary feelings we have, they're just not sinful. Um, they are a natural response. What we do with them is and isn't. Um, one last thing. There's this popular idea, and I don't think I've ever heard it here, but I'm mentioning it, that you can be sinful as a group. Because I am a member of this, you know, because I'm American, I'm sinful. Because I am this, I'm sinful. Because I am that, I'm sinful. That's just not scriptural. And actually, if you want to read about it, Jeremiah 31 has a great passage where it talks about you are punished for your sins, not for the sins of those around you. Just because your family is wicked doesn't mean you're wicked, right? You're wicked for your own reasons. Um, I, I actually read about this uh, 
about a year ago related to the daughter of, who was the, Mussolini. And they're like, oh, well, you're evil because Mussolini was evil. No, 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 no. <laughs> She's evil for her own reasons. Um, you know, we're all sinful for our own reasons. We're not punished for other people's sins. There's no such thing as group guilt. Um, my slides are messed up. That's weird. Uh, let me jump past that one. I don't know why that's even in there. I blame Jessica. It is your fault because you... Um, <laughs> um, and interesting, I, I read this earlier in the week, um, and I wanted to share it. Hebrews, this is the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 4, 12 to 13. For the word of God is act, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates through even dividing, or excuse me, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The reason I'm including this is a lot of times we have faulty ideas of what sin is because because we don't really look at the word, right? Like the word is there to show us what's what. And if I judge sin based on what I've heard or what the cultural attitude is or what I feel in the moment or whatever, like these things are not judgments of sin. Like we, we can't make decisions about what is and isn't wicked based on like anything other than what God says. And so we look to the word, which is alive and active. It penetrates our hearts. It convicts us. It calls us out. The hardest time I ever had with realizing how sinful I was was when I was, it was about 14 and a half years ago when I was quitting drinking. And I, was, I weighed almost 300 pounds, and I, I stole stuff, and I lied a lot, and I was um, drunk most of the time. And my whole life was a disaster. And... Um, I sat down when I started trying to get my life right with Jesus. I sat down and I started reading through the Bible from the very beginning. And I got into Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. And you start reading the law and it's like, everything I'm doing is wrong. And it was all of this stuff I thought was okay. And you get to that point and you're like, it's just awful. And then you get to the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and you think, oh, well, I hate my neighbor, but... And you read the Sermon on the Mount and it's like... Oh, wow, I can't hate my neighbor. That's wrong, too. Oh, wow, I can't do this. I can't do that. And the scriptures are ultimately the best reflection of what is and isn't sinful. Like, if you want to feel guilty, like, about nonsense that has nothing to do with God's opinion, look at the world and listen to what they have to say. Right? I, I, I heard somebody a few weeks ago say, oh, well, you can't eat Chick-fil-A anymore. That's sinful. What? <laughs> no. It's just not how it works. The world doesn't judge. The scriptures do. And so we... A lot of times what kills us as it relates to sin is we just don't read the word. We just don't know the word. And if you want to understand it, read it. Um, Let me skip over that one. So sin defined. Like, what is sin then? So we start out what it isn't. What is it? Um, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. This is from John, uh, 1 John. Um, Sin is literally violating God's law, Right? At the most basic level, it is violating God's law. But it gets a little bigger after that. We're going to work on that. So, like, everybody has heard a million sermons on how if you tell a lie, that's a sin. Right? If you drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do, that's a sin. But they can have tattoos, apparently, because it's not mentioned in the rhyme. Also not in the Bible. <laughs> like, I, uh, Sorry, that was awful, but I, I had it in my head all week. Um <laughs> The, the reality is that, that, you know, at the basic level, you violate the law, that is a sin, right? Um, you, you 
tell a lie, you steal something, you, um, you know, cheat on your wife, you whatever. These are sins. And, and a lot of times we get stuck in this mindset that that's all that sin is. And that it's a collection of, I broke this rule, I broke this rule, I broke this rule. As though in heaven there's a big set of scales and there's a huge pile of Eric's sins and then a huge pile of Eric's good deeds and I just got to get them to balance right away. That's not how it works, right? Um, ultimately, sin, sins, uh, individual sins are breaking rules. But sin is a little bigger than that. Um, Romans gives us a better insight on this. Um, this is from Romans 7, which, by the way, go home and read Romans 7 and 8 all by themselves. It is an amazing text. Um, but once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy, but the, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. I'm going to unpack this. There's a little more to Romans 7 we're going to look at, but I'm going to unpack this part because there's a lot here, right? What it's saying is sin is like this thing that is alive inside you. It, it, it basically does all the steering, Right? Um, it is making all of the decisions. It is the thing that when you look and say, I don't want to do this, and you do it anyway, that's what makes you do it, right? It is the sin living in you. The Ten Commandments and the law come along, and the law is supposed to bring life because it tells you how to have a relationship with God. But sin grabs a hold of the law and says, I don't care what it is, I'm going to do the opposite. Um, I one time met this kid when I worked in mental health, and he had what was called oppositional defiant disorder. All of my children have it. Um, it's where no matter what you do or say, they will do the opposite. Um, so you say red, they say blue. Red's the opposite of blue, right? Um, you say black, they say white. Um, this kid once, he, he was really violent, and he comes walking out of his room one day, and he shoves me. And I was like, dude, go to your room. Right, because I was tired of like tackling him and fighting with him. And I'm like, dude, just go to your room. And he's like, I'm not going to my room. You'll have to fight me to get me there. And I was like, well, all right, I'm going to your room. And I stomped past him and headed towards his room. And he got all upset. And he ran and he stood in his door. He said, you're not going in my room. I'm like, oh, I'm going in. He's like, I'll fight you. No, I'm going in your room. He's like, well, I'll stay here and you won't go in. And I was like, dude, the moment you step out of your room, I'm going in. He stood there for eight hours. <laughs> eight hours. But that is sin inside us. We look at it and we say, what does God want from me? I'm pretty much just going to do the opposite now, right? We see the law and we start figuring out how to get around it. Um, we look at it and say, well, did God really say? I, I met a guy once who tried to justify, oh, well, I do look at pornography, but it says don't commit adultery. and I'm not having sex with anybody but my wife. So it's not adultery. Guess what? It is because... Um, what he's trying to do is he's trying to find a way around the law. Like he's grabbing a hold of it and saying, how do I get past this? How do I desire and like achieve this evil thing um, without it being a sin? But what Paul is talking about here is everything, everything that we are naturally is to rebel against God. And we will find ways to do it. 
We will. We'll be jealous of our neighbor. We'll hate people who we shouldn't hate. We will um, hold resentments. We'll carry bitterness. All of this stuff, like, it is our natural state. The Holy Spirit prevents us from becoming as evil as we can. Um, But in reality, like, we're going to rebel against God. That is what sin is. It is a state of constant rebellion that exists in all of us. Um, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Wish I had underlined that. A slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I'm not going to do the whole verse. I'm sorry. Um, The idea here is the law just becomes this opportunity for sin to rebel. Um, It's like my kids. I tell them, don't eat on the couch. Right? And the first thing they want to do is eat on the couch. And then they start telling on each other because it's fun. Right, Abby's drinking on the couch, and then I watch the other one eating pancakes on the couch. Um, <laughs> and ultimately, it just comes down to the fact that there's a rule, and we're going to figure out how to break it, because that is what sin is. Sin is a rebellion against the rules, and it is this thing that lives inside us. But it goes a step further, right? So we have sin as the breaking of the rules. Sin is this thing that lives inside us that rebels against God constantly. But also, and this is John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everybody knows that one, right? We always stop right there because it's much more fun. But if you keep going, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the son, God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I'm going to boil this down to a simple idea. We exist in a state of rebellion against God, which is what Paul was talking about. But to take it a step further, sin is boiled down to being in Christ or not in Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. I belong to him. I've been adopted into the family. I have this new way of being. um, And that that is what it means to be without sin. Like that is everything that's outside of Christ becomes sin. Everything that is a rejection of Christ in his way is sin. And so you can, it becomes almost like a line, right? Like, like. I become a new person, I am in Christ, and sin becomes a different thing. If I operate outside of being in Christ, then I'm sinning. Um, everybody got that? This is what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is rejection of Christ. Sin is violation of the law, like all of these things. But it is the slave driver. It is the master. It is the worst master ever. I remember... Um, Times in my life where I would curse myself and hate myself for the, the, the things that I was doing because I was so ashamed of myself constantly. But the next day I was going back and doing it again. Right? And then I would stand and I would compare myself to everyone else and either feel like garbage or feel great because I was better than them or they were better than me. 
um, because I lived under this false perception of what sin is. Ultimately, like, nobody else has anything to do with my sin. It's mine. How does God see it? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. God is angry at sin. God hates sin. Um, God's beautiful creation has been destroyed by sin. Our lives were meant to be one way, and they are not, and we hate that, right? I, uh, I've talked to parents whose kids have been bullied, and it makes them miserable and wrecks their lives. And you look at that situation, you say, oh, my gosh, that is so horrible. I hate, I hate the fact that this is happening. I hate the way my child has been treated. I hate, in fact, we might even go as far as, like, I am furious at the people who are treating him that way or her that way. Any parents, does this make sense? This is why God hates sin. This is why God hates wickedness, because it's broken the creation, but also because it's a direct offense to him. Um, When a man cheats on his wife, the wife will inevitably hate everything about that, right? Hate the act. She'll hate her husband. She'll hate the the other woman. She'll hate whatever. I mean, like because there is anger and rage at that offense, and that is how God perceives sin. He is furious and anger at angry at sin. Um, the next one, if you've got a queasy stomach or want to get offended by a text, cover your ears and eyes because I'm reading it. Um, but it's a little darker. Throughout the prophets, we are given gross analogies. Right, And the scriptures often soften these because we live in a very clean and cultured age. Um, and so we don't want to read some stuff. And like the Bible sometimes downplays certain words that might be more offensive in, in the text. I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, but here's an example. Whether you turn to the right or left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, this is the way, walk in it. And then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. And you will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. And so like the way that the prophet is comparing sin and idolatry is to use menstrual cloths. Gross, right? In our culture, it's gross. In their culture... It was not only gross, but it was highly offensive because it made you unclean if you came into contact with women or with menstrual stuff or whatever. Um, So, like, it's gross times ten. If you go through the Old Testament, there are examples like where sin is compared to dung, like where uh, Ezekiel is told, hey, lay on your side for the next six months, eat bread, cook it with your own droppings. And like, cause God is basically saying, this is how gross this sin is to me. This is how offensive it is. Um, I, I'm going to get in trouble for all of this. I'm sorry. But this is like, I'm talking about this specifically so you understand God looks at sin and he's infuriated and he's disgusted, right? Because it is offense against him. It is, it is, um, is a horrible thing in his sight. Um, God pushes sin away because God is holy and his holiness consumes. Um, and sin is, is, is as repulsive and awful to God as it can possibly be. Um, one last one from Isaiah on this idea. Um, your whole head is injured. 
your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness. Only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. So he's talking about the nation of Israel, and he's saying, listen, like a doctor, I'm looking at you, and you've got everything, right? Like it's like the man flu, only worse. You, you are damaged and broken and sick and covered in sores and desecrating and falling apart and everything else. And I look at you and this is how you are. Why do I mention this? Because we often like to turn sin into this thing I struggle with, right? This thing, my sin is I struggle with pride. My sin is I struggle with this. But like as God perceives sin, it's something that covers us entirely. I'm mostly good except this. In reality, sin is like, is everything. Like you are in sin, like you are covered in it. And it is our natural state. And so as you look at this, understand this is how we were born. This is how we are. We, can, we cannot stop. Um, we cannot undo what we are. My son has a bad habit. We did it again this week, and Josh saved him. Um, he left a piece of cake sitting on the floor in the middle of the room. He stood up and he walked away. And guess what was about to happen? The dog was gearing up to rush in and grab it because that's what dogs do. And every time you leave a sandwich out, what's the dog going to do? He's going to eat it. Every time you leave something unattended and look away, the dog is going to move in and grab it because he's a dog. We are all in sin. This is who we are. Apart from Christ, we cannot be saved. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot dig ourselves out of this hole. I know I'm going a little long, but this is um, a plane flight and me thinking about this, so you all are stuck with it. Um, one last example. This is how God responds to sin. Everybody knows what these are. this is, right? The Ark of the Covenant. In the Old Testament, when you would sin, you would make a sacrifice, and you would bring a blood offering, and you would pour it. Ugh, I don't have a pointer. Between the wings, see that bowl? It's called the mercy seat. And as an atonement for sin, you would make a sacrifice and you would pour blood on the mercy seat. And God's holiness would be manifest there. And that blood offering was to pay for sin. Because we hear like over and over again, the punishment for sin is death. And we all like deserve death because of our sin. Like, like we have all earned it over and over again. But the way that God would provide in the Old Testament was he would give this mercy seat and you would pour this blood out and like that death would bring you mercy. You would be forgiven because the animal would be punished in your place. Um, in fact, you couldn't even touch this ark though. That's why these guys are carrying it with sticks. I just found that on the internet. Um, <laughs> because if you touch the ark, you touch God's holiness, and your uncleanness would result in you straight up dying, right? Like there was nothing good happening there. If you were to open the Ark of the Covenant, what you would find is um, a handful of things, the rod of Aaron and a jar of manna. But specifically, the important one here is a copy of the Ten Commandments, the first copy that God wrote out with his fingers on stone. And then when Moses saw the people sinning, he got ticked off, and he smashed them. And the broken law is stored in there. And so between the broken law and us is God's mercy, right? There's an example in the Old Testament where um, a group of folks from Beth Shemesh opened the ark. We just want to see what's inside. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. 
putting down 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of God. And the people mourned because of the heavy blow and the, that the Lord had dealt with them. Um, and the people of Beth Shemesh said, asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go from here? And they're saying, like, but what, what happened was, the reason they died was they removed God's mercy and they stood before his law exposed. Any of us standing in God's presence without his mercy? You're in trouble. Apart from God's mercy, we are in so much trouble. Um, but, like, and I kind of, this is a long way to go to get here. Um, all of this, like, grossness and brokenness and ugliness, all of it, it is all on us. We wear it with us. We, we would brag about it if we could, and most of us, some of us do. Like, scroll Facebook or Instagram, it's all over. Um, but now, apart from the law, the, righteous, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. He's talking about Jesus. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now watch this. God is merciful in the respect that he gives us forgiveness for free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to cut yourself. You don't have to, you know, say 75 Hail Marys and, you know, throw yourself down the stairs twice. Like, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You're given grace for free because of Christ. Have faith, be forgiven, become a new creation. By the way, Merry Christmas, right? What better gift could we receive? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. I love my son. I love him so much my heart skips a beat when I see him get out of bed in the morning. Part of that's because I want him to go back to bed. But part of it's because, like, he's amazing. I, I struggle when my son hurts. I struggle when he's sad. I struggle when he's sick. I love him so much. And my love for him is nothing like what God feels towards the son. And he sent his son to be beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross to atone for your sins. Now, put that in perspective, the menstrual claws you all carry around, the, the dung we pile around ourselves. I know it's gross. I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry because that's what it is. It's, sin is offensive and infuriating to God. And God sent his most beloved son to die for us, to save us from our own actions. And we don't have to earn it, it's free. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to, as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. Um, it all boils down to this. We are saved by faith in Christ. 
Our horrible wickedness, our sin, our offense, our rebellion, our despising of God, our selfishness, our, our utter brokenness. Christ poured out his blood for us and God commanded him to do it because God loves you that much. And if you don't understand how horrible sin is, that kind of grace, man, it loses something, doesn't it? The darker the world is, the brighter the light of the cross is. You don't have to be prettier than your neighbor. You don't have to have a cleaner house. You don't have to... You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be the most successful or have a six-pack or, or you know, be the most revered person or anything. I mean, like, none of it. Like, none of that means anything to God. Faith in Christ is what means it. Faith in Christ is what accomplishes it. That is it. Free gift. This is the first Sunday of the month. I'm going to call my guys forward as I talk about this because I'm a little long. I have guys, right? <laughs> On the night that Christ was betrayed, I don't have guys. <laughs> I have two. <There's> Jim. <laughs> hey, Terry, come help me. Um, On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took his bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat it. This is my body broken for you. This is the free gift that God gives us. Despite our rebellion, his son was broken. And as we pass the plates around, take the bread and eat it and recognize that Christ was broken for you. Christ was beaten and and whipped and broken for you for your forgiveness. And so as we take the elements, remember like, like this is you taking it in. This is a symbol of this reality that as I take Christ in, I'm forgiven. Because God's grace is...